Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to our first regular episode since the break. It's been a while. It, is, it felt very, very long without it. No, this this time felt long. And there were a lot of things that I was like, I can't wait to talk about this. And then I realized I was like, oh, wait. And we didn't even see each other that much. We didn't see each other at all. This this week is the first time Julie and I are like back to our schedule of being together constantly. It was like the longest we've been without each other. Yeah, I missed you. Um, so on Monday, as you guys know, we did a full Golden Globes recap. And then we did a 2019 pop culture year in review. Went month by month, broke down the viral memes, Instagrams, what we were talking about and celebrity news. I personally had the time of my life doing that episode. I loved that one. We needed loved. it. Yeah. It was like a palate cleanser. I agree. Okay, so we are back. This is our first regular episode. And as I said last time, but I just want to clarify for anybody that may have missed it, going forward, starting next week, Mondays will be our regular episodes like this one, and Wednesdays will be our bonus show. That'll be either Kardashian-related, random deep dive, celebrity interviews, whatever it is, it'll take place um, on Wednesdays. Ready, Joel? I'm ready, Emma. Okay. You want to start with Brad and Leo? Please. I feel it's a good thing to start with, especially because of the amount that we talked about them during the Golden Globes. Right. So basically, in this random, like, shocking turn of events, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio went on Mark Maron's podcast. It's called WTF Podcast. And he has everyone on. Like, he's known for having Danny DeVito, um, Colbert, Letterman, Obama— I guess if you are an A-lister who doesn't typically do these things, his is one that this you would do. This is kind of like, yeah. It's kind of like doing an interview with Katie Kirk. Right. And just on a plot, like, I think he got into the podcast medium very early, and he's he's had some really big names on, so it's not shocking that they did this specific one. I find it shocking that they did a podcast in, in general. general. Can I also, can I be honest with you? Like, not to sound so out of touch and insane, but when I first heard it, like for maybe 0.2 split seconds, I thought we had a chance. Well, anytime I hear that a celebrity does a podcast, it just like, the fact that they're willing to do that medium makes me, it's not like it. it's like, oh, we have a chance. It just inches it closer or makes it more that like other celebrities that we do want would be willing to do podcasts and understanding that like this is a medium that can, that like TV isn't the only medium anymore. Exactly. Radio isn't like, this is also respected. Exactly. It's like, okay, maybe one day there's a shot right. like in some other world. Anyway, um, there were some notable quotes. I wanted to read a couple of them. So they were talking a lot about, you know, their roles in Hollywood at the beginning of their careers. And Brad told this story about one of the very first screenings of Fight Club. He said, quote, we had the best screening ever. We had it at the Venice Film Festival and they do this midnight screening for some reason. 
So for some reason, Edward Norton and I thought it would be a good idea to smoke a joint beforehand. And we go in, and they put you up in a balcony, and you sit next to the guy who runs the festival. Everybody's looking at you. They clap, and you sit down. It's very formal. Then the movie starts, and the first joke comes up, and it's crickets. Dead silence. And another joke. And it's just dead silence. And this thing is not translating. You know, it's subtitles. The more that happened, the funnier it got to Ed and I. So we're the assholes in the back laughing at our own jokes. He also said that the um, festival director kind of was like squirming in discomfort as he kind of watched the entire theater leave without saying a word, which I can only imagine. Yeah, like he watched the, he was squirming. Like the person who ran it was squirming because every, it was like dead silent in the whole theater. And basically what they were saying is like the jokes didn't land because it was all dependent on subtitles. So it wasn't like the normal, like, it was Fight Club. Like, obviously, Fight Club's amazing. It just, like, didn't translate in this specific audience. And he was saying that, like, the, the director of the Venice Film Festival was, like, uncomfortable. And then he left without saying anything to Brad, or, to Brad or, or Ed Norton or anything and just left. And the way Brad was telling the story was just so funny because he's cracking up, remember, this experience where he's like, we thought this was the funniest thing in the entire world. Also, like, there was the moment where Brad was like, and then we got high and me and Isabel, like, grabbed each other. We're like, oh, my God. Brad? Yeah. Like, it's get. oh my God. It was just crazy. There's something, him about, speak. there's something about Brad Pitt smoking a joint, which I'm sure happens all the time that I just love thinking about. Yeah, I will think about that a lot from now on, actually. So I thought this part was really interesting. Leo spoke about living at home while he was filming the Titanic and kind of like, you know, his, his first experience with real fame. And he said, I was off on location doing movies. I was in my early 20s. I never bothered to look for a house and just stayed in my mom's house. One day I saw four black SUVs parked outside my house. And then he went on to say that later that day, they followed him to the liquor store and, you know, they were following him and he kind of realized that the paparazzi were trailing him. And he said it was that moment that he realized that his life was never going to be the same. So Mark, the host, asked, like, if they still follow him so relentlessly. And he said it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to. And Brad was, like, shocked. And he's like, it doesn't? And Leo's like, I've been able to escape a lot more. And Brad goes, I'm a little disgruntled with you. I'm just, like, trash mag fodder because of my disaster of a personal life, probably. Do you know what I was going to say? What? Remember I said to you before, I wanted to tell you something that I didn't want to say before? Yeah. That one quote about Brad mentioning the disaster of his personal life, I felt like, and this could also just be because I really haven't seen him a lot in the public eye, so he always could have been like this, but I haven't seen him as much as I have recently. I felt he's being very, like, self-deprecating, almost as a way to, like, cope, maybe. Like, I think he feels a little bit embarrassed about the public's perception of him recently, and he's almost overcompensating. I I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, you can finish. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I think that what it is is that this is the first time he's ever able to joke about it. Because after it hap- everything happened with Jen Aniston, he couldn't joke about his disaster of a personal life. Like, he was going from one relationship to another, and in front of the public, and probably in his own home, it had to be like, this isn't a disaster. This is the greatest thing in the entire world. Like, this is the love of my life, whatever. So there were no, there was no time for that he could joke about the Jen Aniston situation. There was no, nothing that he could make of that to make it seem like my personal life's a disaster or any self-deprecating thing because it, 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 it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a good look for him at the time. It wouldn't have been a good look to leave your wife and then also make fun of the situation you're in. And also, for sure, like no one feels bad for you. So now that everything with Angelina's done and you, he can look back on those two things, this is the first time in his life where he's able to be like, wow, I've really made a mess of some things. Right. And I guess simultaneously he's so in the public eye right now. Yeah, I don't. But I don't believe that he's— um, I don't think that he's struggling with like being embarrassed by it or like trying to figure it all out. I think that he is—this is just the first time where he's like, 
wow, there's literally nobody that I can offend by saying something. Like there's nobody I can upset. There's nothing like my personal life is a disaster right now. And there's no one waiting for me at home to be like, no, it isn't. That's a good point. I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you. I think it's both actually. Yeah, I think it definitely I, could be. I think I fully agree with you. And then I also think because he hasn't been able to speak on it for so long, he wants to outwardly make sure that everybody knows that he recognizes like, it. Like, think about it. It's not like Pete Davidson making a joke about all of the women he's dating. Yeah, of course. Like, because when Pete Davidson's making that joke, it's because he's single or he's dating another woman yet again, and it's a thing. For Brad Pitt, it's like he couldn't acknowledge that his personal life was a disaster until it became an actual disaster. Yeah, and now he's, like, kind of in the clear. Quote, yeah. End quotes. Good point. I don't know. I just think that coming off of the Golden Globes to get that podcast was— Really something. Yeah. And also, I don't know. I think that, like, self-deprecating makes you more relatable. And I think it, he's figured that out. It totally does. That's why I think that he was so—that's why he just—I don't know. He—not he, he, everyone does that. Like, not—you would think that more A-listers that could be considered so non-relatable, that would be their, like, vice. You know what I mean? Like, that right. would be what they use. And— they don't. Well, because I think people call bullshit on that a lot. And I think there are a lot of celebrities that have, tried, that have tried to play that game before where it's like they complain about something and the public is like, oh, my God, can you stop? Like, you literally have everything. So you have one fault. Like, no one cares. Or, like, you're complaining about your personal life. Like, you put yourself in that position. All of these things. And so I think that there are a lot of celebrities that have tried that game of, you know, self-deprecating in order to seem relatable. And they're so unrelatable that no one cares about what they're Mm-hmm. The, their deprecation. With Brad Pitt, I think it's one of those things where it's like, where it's like, yeah, you are in this position of like, no one feels bad for you per se because of the success that you've had and because of the life you live. But to hear you kind of do it in a joking way and very slightly and doing it for the first time, there is, it, it does have that relatability, but he can't keep doing it. If he keeps doing it, he loses that. Yeah, no, it's like, a, it's a small window that small he has. Small window. And he's capitalizing on it in a really good way. And you have way. to be really smart about it. Like, you can't seem complaining. You just have to be jokey. Because as soon as celebrities start complaining about things like their personal life and these types of things that aren't, you know, that aren't problems that other people can relate to. It's like you're self-deprecating to seem relatable, but the issues that you're complaining about aren't relatable. Of course, no, of course, of course. I also think that, that, you know, he was the villain for so long. Like, it's it's a weird, I don't know, it's a weird role that we're seeing him in. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, I mean, he wasn't the villain necessarily to me. He definitely, um, in the beginning, was a little bit of the villain and then grew out of that quicker than I think most would. I also wanted to make, I wanted to clarify something. Someone inboxed us and was like, I loved the episode so much. Like, I, it just didn't really sit right with me that you guys were blaming Angelina for Brad's issues. Oh, if, I wanted to bring that up also. I'm so, like, sorry if that's what it came across as. That's literally not at all what we meant. His uh, his choices were his own. All I was saying, at least, was that I don't think that that relationship helped the cause. I think that it definitely magnified it. I think that any marriage, any relationship, any familial or, or whatever— puts a stress on something that's already there or can create a stress. So it's not an individual's fault. It's the situation you are in that can be stressful for you and therefore cause issues. Yeah, of course. So, like, if if everything was perfect with Angelina, first of all, they'd obviously still be together, one would assume. And also, there wouldn't be that stressor there, more likely. But because the, the situation itself wasn't perfect and Angelina was part of that situation, that's why it is— um, it's probable that a lot of his issues would go back to that. Yeah, but just to clarify, that's not But it wasn't like, it wasn't like, I don't, we weren't suggesting like Angelina was sitting there pulling strings and making him miserable. That was not the, and I don't think he was miserable. I just think it was, he wasn't himself for a little while. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's very Sick interesting. Shit I do to talk to him about that because when you hear him speak now, he, I I kind of forgot like how chill he is. Like he kind of has like a Matthew McConaughey in his voice. Such Julie, he's so chill. And I he for, probably smoke so much fucking weed. I yeah, I totally. I for, that's what I'm telling you. If someone said to me like five years ago. What's Brad Pitt's personality like? I couldn't tell you. I felt like I knew nothing about him. And I know that it's been like literally three days, but I feel like I'm remembering now. It's all well, coming back to me. Well, that's what it is. It's me. like coming back to me. It's all like back chill. To me. Like, it's also been a while since I feel like we've heard him give like, I don't know. I don't have the memories of what Brad Pitt is like the way I do with other actors. Same. Like I know what Leo's like. Yeah. I don't know Brad's personality. I know I'm going really out of order, but I just have to talk Go about this. Go whatever order you want. Okay, we got to talk about Cameron Diaz. Wow. Out of fucking left field on Friday, Cameron and Benji Madden, and her husband, post on Instagram that they have welcomed their daughter to the world, which, number one, no idea that she was pregnant, which there's still a lot of speculation as to whether or not she carried the baby if it was a surrogate or— Yeah, I have no idea. It was—I don't—the reason I don't—I don't think it was adoption. Um, it totally could have been, but we're hearing—the things that we've heard is that she carried it or that it was a surrogate. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have to, um, oh my God, I would kill for more information. Should I read the statement? Yeah. She said, Happy New Year from the Maddens. We are so happy, blessed, and grateful to begin this new decade by announcing the birth of our daughter, Radix Madden. She has instantly captured our hearts and completed our family. While we are overjoyed to share this news, we also feel a strong instinct to protect our little one's privacy. So we won't be posting pictures or sharing any more details other than the fact that she is really, really cute. Some would even say rad. From our family to all of yours, we're sending our love and best wishes for a happy new year and happy new decade. We, I'm really happy. She re- they really wanted a baby for a while, I believe. From what I've read, they were trying for a very long time. Like truly when I say this was the last thing I was expecting yeah, to come on my newsfeed. First same. off, I always forget they're married. Second of all, I always forget that they're in-laws with, she's well, in-laws with the That's what Nicole I was going to say is that <laughs> there is a very, depending on how close everybody is, there is a chance that that baby could grow up calling Scott Disick Uncle Scott. <laughs> Isn't that weird to think about? <laughs> yeah. Like when you web celebrities like that. That's amazing. That baby's aunt is Nicole Richie. Nicole Richie, uh, you know, that's the family. It's not the craziest, most far-off connection. That baby, like, could very well call him Uncle Scott. Wow, that's wild. Well, technically, it would be Nicole's— It's Nicole's niece. It's Nicole's niece, right. But it's not— Sophie. It's on the Madden side. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not Sophia's niece, but it's still, like, I call my aunt's yeah. sister's aunt whatever. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just on her, like, direct aunt, obviously. Yeah. What a fucking but just talking about like familial connection. Like there is a direct connection from Scott Disick to Cameron Diaz, which is a really weird thing to think about. No, it's the weirdest thing ever. I mean, I, I like I said, I really always forget that they're married and I always forget that she's older. Not that it matters. I just forget all of it. And I couldn't be happier for her. That's a game I want to play one day. Um, I always say I want to do this with you where we just write one celebrity's name down and see how many connections we can make to every other celebrity. Or the, the also what's really fun is like, remember in high school you used to do like the hookup web? Like Duh. you just say two separate people and say how they're connected. That's, that's my favorite game in the whole world. That's what we should do with celebrities. Like just two random people and see if we can draw the connections. That is the most fun game. You just see how you pick two people and figure out a way to get them to connect. And it's so fun. It's so fun. Also, um, there was a lot of like wedding slash honeymoon news this week. So Aaron Foster finally got married to Simon Tick. I 
Simon Tickman. This is Tickman. His name. I, I know him as Simon Tick because I Instagram. It, it, all I see is his Instagram handle. He's not even public. I mean, just, yeah, he's not even public. Um, they got married on New Year's Eve in Nashville, and for anybody that has been following her for a long time, she's been so 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 upfront in really how much of a journey it was for her to kind of find love and. She was single for a really long time and she spoke very openly about, you know, being in her 30s and and fearing not being able to have children um, naturally. Like that was something she spoke about a lot about, you know, freezing her eggs and all that stuff. And we did, I don't know, a couple months ago, we did a panel with her and it was also with Bumble. And so a lot of the conversation was focused around dating. And she kind of said like, she got to the point where she was like, I'm not going to push it anymore. Like whatever happens, happens. And when she met Simon, like she kind of just knew. Yeah. Well, we were talking, remember she was saying that um, she knew when she met him, but he wasn't looking for anything serious. And she was in this mindset of like, I'm not forcing it anymore. And she was saying, she was like, I think it almost kind of helped me that I wasn't because I was so chill about it. And there was one night where, like, we, it was very noticeable that we hadn't spoken, and I was on a date with somebody else because we weren't exclusive. And he said to her, like, like, he kind of figured out that she was on a date because it was, like, the only time that they hadn't spoken. And he was like, he was like, I didn't think I wanted any ser- anything serious, but, like, I hated that feeling. Like, let's not do that. I, we, we are really, really, like, big fans of them together. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just so happy for her. Like, just, I think that this is exactly, like, what sh- she wanted. He's exactly the type of guy that she deserves. He's so good with her family and her nieces. And You know what I want to do? I'm just so excited. We haven't done this, and we should do, and we should actually probably send— Wait, I have the best idea. Aaron, if you're listening, don't listen anymore. We have to cut the clip from when she was on the podcast, which was in, what, November 2018, of her talking about him. Yeah. And do it as an audio file and send it to her. Oh, yeah, or, definitely. Or even, or even get it transcribed. That's such a nice gift. That was like when she was falling in love with him, but like didn't want to jinx anything. Well, remember when me and Sarah went to the bathroom, that's when you guys were talking about yeah. it. So I don't even know if we I ever— have to go back and listen. I don't know if I ever even heard— That part of it. That part of it. Well, she was ta- speaking about the fact that like he's not— You know, the thing with them is that they are surrounded by such A-listers. Like, their best friends are Gwyneth Paltrow and Courtney Cox and, you know, Jennifer Aniston and and everyone, Kate Hudson. And she said, like, she knows what it's like to date a true celebrity, but she feels like someone who's fame-adjacent is actually a little bit better for her lifestyle because they're not freaked out by being in the company that they're in, but they're also not fame-hungry. They don't want the spotlight. She doesn't want to feel like someone's dimming her shine. And he is exactly that. Right. Like, I felt like she found exactly what it was that she described that was so important to her. Um, they had the wedding in Nashville. Catherine Foster, obviously David, their dad's wife, she sang karaoke. She was like doing karaoke at the at the rehearsal dinner, which was amazing. No, that was the best. David Foster walked her down the aisle. And so Aaron's sister, Sarah, has this daughter, Viv. She has two daughters, Viv and Josie. They are the cutest the girls. The cutest things in the entire world. How old is Viv? Ten? Yeah, I think so. Ten, nine. Nine, nine or ten. And they are so close with Simon, which is so sweet. It's like technically his his nieces now. And they surprised everyone, including Aaron, with the choreographed dance, Simon and the yes, nine-year-old yeah. niece. You guys have to watch the video. It's on it's Aaron's really, story. Really, There's really on Aaron's page. Sweet. Also, Sarah's other daughter 
was like really sick, had a fever, was going to go home. And she like got changed out of her dress. She was about to go home. And once she saw all the other little kids walking down the aisle, she felt left out. So she walked down the aisle and, and sweatpants. sweatpants. That's our dream, Em. That's literally That's our, our dream. dream. I just thought the whole thing was the sweetest thing. And we're just so happy for I'm them. saying I have a fever on my wedding day. Yeah, you, that is you. So Mother's Day is coming up. And I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because Realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen. And every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, can we talk about Adele and Harry Styles? Yes. And James Corden's there. Why do they keep leaving I him know. out? He, he, is, he is left out of the narrative because comparatively speaking, there's just... I, they're all in... Where are they? St. Thomas? Uh, Anguilla, I think. Yeah. So... They are on vacation together, the three of them. And then there was a story that they had gone out to dinner one of the nights and left a $2,020 tip on the bill, which was like a $400 bill um, because it was New Year's. And the waiter had Instagrammed it and was like, and said thank you to Harry and then tagged them Adele in uh, the post also in James Corden then took pictures with Harry and, and James Corden. Um, and he also tagged Donnie Wahlberg in it because Donnie Wahlberg also tipped $2,020 on like an IHOP bill. I love that. Yeah. Good day to be their waiter. Yeah. Really good day really to be their waiter. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if everybody saw this. We posted it on our story, but if if you didn't, it's an, it's really important that you watch it. The um, Where I know you can definitely see it is Evan Ross Katz's Instagram. So as you guys know, Carly Kloss is a judge on Project Runway. And for this challenge, this was fucking This was no, the, it's the best thing, thing ever. ever. The designers had to make her something for the CFDA event in Paris. And, you know, Brandon Maxwell is one of the other co-hosts. And all the contestants were sitting up there. And he was like saying the this contestant, Tyler, he was like, listen, I could not see Carly wearing this anywhere, quite frankly. And the guy looks her dead in the eye and goes, not even to dinner with the Kushners? I cannot believe he said that. Carly's, they all were like mind blown. No, her jaw dropped. Her jaw dropped. And then he later apologized. He was like, I really didn't mean anything by it. Um, like, I didn't mean anything malicious or mound, like anything. And, <laughs> I, and then and then he gets kicked off. Not for that, like apparently because of the dress. And then today he posts a picture on his Instagram of the shirt that says, he made shirts that say, um, not even to dinner with the Kushners. And he captioned it, politically driven evening wear. 50% of proceeds from these shirts benefit the Al- California Center for Homeless LGBTQ Youth. Like, that is a way to capitalize on a moment. By the way, that was a fair response, in my opinion. I said that so fair. Listen, it wasn't the right place for it. But it was a fair response. All things aside, the Kushners are her fucking in-laws. It's not like he was saying, to dinner with Trump? Yeah. Like, 
the Kushners are your in-laws. Take that how you want to take that. Yeah. That's all I'll say. That's what I think it was. I mean, listen, yes, of course, maybe it was a little inappropriate. And she said, she's like, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about this one event here. There's no need to bring anything else into it. But I also just going to say it, best thing that ever happened to Project Runway. Everybody was talking about it. Yeah, everyone was talking about it. For this reboot of Project Runway, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Okay. Can we also talk about Hilary Duff? Yes. I know this happened a while ago, so we're not going to get too into it, but she got married over the break and we didn't have a podcast to talk about it on. I know. We were just doing this on one of our um, bonus Patreon episodes. Like, I really feel like she got it right this time. I do too. I feel like they get each other on on a real level. I know, obviously, what do we know? But I just get that feeling. Yeah, I, I love watching them together. I love watching them interact as a little family. I don't know, it's just very sweet. And I think that... I don't know. I'm just happy for her. I think that she is so sweet and so kind. And, like, he just feels like he matches that so well. Do you know where this quote was from when she's talking about the, the Vogue article? I have to read it. Well, that's why I put it in. So in Vogue, she she's talking about how Matthew proposed in a park near their apartment. She said, I'd had a very long day. I think my call time that morning was 4 a.m. And by the time I got home, our daughter was already asleep. We love to take walks together. And so he's like, let's go on a walk. You had a day. Let's just get out and chat and catch up. There's this new park I want to take you to, and it's supposed to be gorgeous. So she really didn't want it. She kind of just wanted to get in bed, but she decided to go. All of a sudden, he says, I've been working on something for you, and you're going to love it. I really want our kids to know our story, and now we can keep adding to our book. Oh, my God. He then gives her this notebook that is illustrated with sketches of them. And he says, it's our whole entire story mapped out for us to refer back to as we get older and for our kids to know, which is amazing. She says, I get to the very last page and there's a little piece that I have to lift up and my ring was inside. It was so sweet. It was really special and really simple, which is very much how we are and how we operate. Then it started raining and it was perfect. I just got the chills. <laughs> That's so special. That's really, like, really sweet. That's what I mean. Like, he he gets her. Like, that is exactly what I would picture how to propose to Hillary Duff. Give her just, like, something really sweet and sentimental. It's, like, exactly. Simplistic, sentimental, and romantic. That Those are me, like, the three words that I think of when I think of them. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing else to tell you other than they're on their honeymoon right now in Africa. And I'm just really into them as a couple, and we're just really happy me for too. Okay, I also wanted to talk about—I don't want to get into it, but— it would be remiss not to acknowledge Justin's return. Why are we not getting into it? Get into it, Jewel. But I have a question. Why do you not want to get into it? Um, because I feel like the best stuff has not been released yet, and so I don't want to spend time talking about Yummy when I know we have a whole album and an amazing docuseries coming. But we can get into it a little. I mean, I guess that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> basically said all the way to bury the lead. Um, yeah, I just, I'm happy for him to be back. If, do you remember, this is why I feel like, I'm so happy that he's doing this and making music and doing it on the like a, a time frame and a schedule and the way that he wants to do it. His last tour that he was on, he was miserable. Miserable. I mean, he was literally a shell of himself. Like you were watching him dance, and it's very. He was just going with the motions. It looked like like when Britney Spears would dance at that one. They remember the VMAs, like yeah. the VMAs. Like she, like not obviously to that extent. It was just like you could tell he didn't want to be there. And it wasn't because he didn't like his fans or because he didn't like this career anymore. It was just because like it felt so forced for him to be on this tour and it wasn't the life he wanted. And there was so much lacking in his personal life and mental health that he had to figure that out. And now I feel like he is in such a good place and so excited about being able to do this. And I'm just so fucking happy for him. No, I I'm, I obviously am too. I mean, I the thing I'm most excited for hands down is the docuseries. Oh. Is, how is it going to be released? YouTube twice a week. 
When does it start? January 27th. So when once it comes out, like every week on the podcast, we're going to have to do like a little absolutely. recap. Absolutely, right? Yeah. As far as our opinions on Yummy, I think ours differ a little. I think it's catchy because I think pretty much every song he releases is catchy, but I'd be lying if I said I'm obsessed with it. I never said I was obsessed with it. I, I'm not saying you did. I'm just saying I for the people that were asking. No, I think that it's very it's I think that it's very catchy. I think the word yummy is obviously not the word we wanted him to use. I think we can all agree that. It's but, like if somebody made a song called Moist and you would like, but I will say that the song is very catchy. Like I'll notice myself singing it, not even on purpose. I know Isabel keeps singing it. Um, and there are certain lines that I really like in it, but I feel like when artists like, I, it wouldn't have been the song that I would have picked for him to come back with. So I'm really excited to hear the album to see, like, what I would think that he would have come back with. But I think that as an artist making a return right now, like, you have to release a song that's so catchy that gets in people's heads. And it can't be like, like, for example, like, Jonas Brothers released Sucker. Sucker is an amazing song. Like, catchy as shit, whatever. But if you listen to the other songs on the album, there are ones that are better songs. It's just one's catchier than the other, one's poppier than the other, one's more likely to be played on the radio. Well, like, and what we were saying yesterday, what you were saying yesterday, I didn't realize this is, I thought this was the case, but I didn't realize it was an actual statistic that the song, like the number one thing artists, artists want these days is for their songs to go viral on TikTok because it's like directly, there's a direct correlation to being right. number one on the charts. And like Justin was really smart with getting on TikTok, making it a challenge. He made a TikTok song. He made, yeah, he made a TikTok song. And let me tell you something, as two people very involved in TikTok, it is going viral on TikTok and people are using it for their dances, especially because he's been really good recently. I don't know if he always did this as much, but recently he's been really good at posting fans like reactions or being a little bit more engaging with his fans. So the, I can't tell you how many people are doing dances to that song on TikTok just for the 0.1% chance that he notices it. And it works. And I also have to say, Justin is an incredible dancer. Like, I, And I think that he is very good at knowing what songs can be danced to because some songs are incredibly catchy and we love, but you wouldn't dance to it. And I think that this is one where he was like, no, people can do TikTok dances, a 30 second dance to this chorus and it can go viral. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray and it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray and Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. On a far less happy note, um, Harvey Weinstein, this motherfucker, he just doesn't go away. I just, it's like, I don't know what I'm expecting. Like I, I, like, I know it's so unrealistic, but I just would, was waiting for one day to wake up and have him just, like, not be in our orbits, but it's just impossible. I mean, the thing is, I'm just so sick of him seeing him, like, sitting in New Jersey eating ice cream. 
Like, I am literally sick of it. Stop showing me the picture. Don't even take it. I don't even want to know that he is out and about doing what he's allowed to be doing because I, I just can't. But I will tell you that his trial in New York started yesterday, and today was the jury selection, or the beginning of the jury selection, which is going to be a goddamn process. Wait, by the way, we're sitting there today talking about it, and Isabel's like to Julie, like, yeah, like, maybe you'll be selected. And, and like, obviously kidding. And Julie dead serious. She's like, no, I can't. They know that I'm a little too biased. <laughs> they know. They know I couldn't. But that's the thing. I was, I'm like, how do you get an impartial jury? I don't. I literally don't know. That's what—see, you see, want to know why, what's scary to me is that to be impartial on this— to me, you have to be morally corrupt. I don't understand how you can hear all this and not take a side. Well, That's what's so— It's also like to be impartial— Listen, I don't think you can be— I, I don't think that you have to be morally corrupt to be impartial because I think that you can be somebody who truly understands the extent of a law that a person is innocent until they are proven guilty. And that's what, like, the—like, you can hear about a case. You can have an opinion on a case. But, like, as long as you're— belief in our justice system and the way it operates and the way it works is above all those other things, I think you can be impartial. But usually in a case where high media cases are so hard to be impartial and find impartial jurors because usually your ideal candidate for a case would be people that have never heard of the case. And therefore, it's not like they're hearing outside information or all of these other things. It's like they are getting no information. Maybe they heard about what happened, but there's no other outside forces and they can go into this and be impartial because they don't have information. Exactly. I There's not a person alive right now that hasn't heard of this case. Yeah, it's going to be really, I'm very curious to see I, how that goes. It's the same. All, well, but okay. Also, um, on Monday, which was the same day that his trial began, the Los Angeles County um they brought four charges of sexual assault against him. And so he's not going to appear in L.A. court until the New York trial is done. But if he's convicted in L.A., he faces up to 28 years. And then if he's convicted in New York, he can face life. Um, and I have to tell you, I was looking for, um, like, what specific counts he was being charged with in New York and what specific counts he was being charged in L.A. And I was looking through his Wikipedia to find it. And there's, like—not his Wikipedia's page, like, his the, like the Harvey Weinstein case Wikipedia. And they get to a list of, like— Every single person who's brought a complaint against him. And it is, it is like the worst thing that you can look at to go to scroll through something and it just doesn't stop. Like it was so unbelievably unsettling and disturbing. And it wasn't like I was reading detailed account. It was just names. And I was like, I cannot believe I'm looking at over 75 names here. And that this guy is still walking around. Eating New Jersey and ice cream in New Jersey. It's so crazy. We also, so his lawyer is apparently, it's a female lawyer, and apparently she, I was reading an article today that says, like, she's known as, I guess her and the prosecutor are both just, like, powerhouses of in what they do, well, obviously. Yeah. And, like, what what would you do to be in that courtroom? Anything. I would have done anything to be in that courtroom. Anything. I can only— I'm so— interested in every facet of this case. I'm so interested of what his defense could possibly bring up. I'm so—but I, like—then there's other things where I'm, like, so thankful that I'm not in there because I don't know if I could sit through and hear testimonies. Like, I don't know if I could handle sitting there and hearing it. I want him to have to hear them. Like, yeah, no, no, I want him to. I'm, I'm talking about from a me-being-there perspective. No, no, I know. I know. God. It's like—this is really rare for me because even with, with a lot of—with a lot of cases that are really, like, gruesome, I don't— the, th the first thought that comes to my mind is, like, I want the family of the victim or whatever the situation is to, like, 
you know, feel like justice has been served. Like that's always my number one thing. But what doesn't go into my head is like, I want them to suffer, like the the person. And in this, all I can think, not that I don't want them to, but that doesn't come into my head. And with this, it's like, I want you to sit there and fucking be tortured. Like, you know what I mean? Like I want you, I just, after reading some of those women's it's testimonies, like you it's like- you kick the walker out from in front of him. Because what knows thing? I think that Walker's fucking bullshit. Yeah, of course it is. How many pictures have you seen? What what was the thing we were reading? That he was he was that the he's, he he used the Walker to go into court or something, and then he's seen it like Cipriani the night before. Yeah, without it, yeah. I don't know. It's really it's like I can't like I. It's just so much. It's a lot. Okay, we're going on to far um, less intense things. I want to touch, I want you to quickly touch on the Kevin Hart documentary. Oh, yes. Okay, so the Kevin Hart documentary was released on Netflix. He, you know, he made it. And it's a, they did a really good job with it in the way that, I think it was really good overall, but in the way that they released it was really good because it's six episodes that are 30 minutes each. So it's a six-part documentary. And he basically devotes, you know, each episode to a different time period in his life over the past couple of years that he wants to explore. So... They talk about the, his, the cheating scandal, him cheating on his wife. They talk about um, they talk about the Oscar scandal. They talk about him growing up and his mother and his whole family and all of these things. And I, my biggest takeaway, which I think was what he wanted as his takeaway, was like, this guy works hard. He, he works fucking hard. And I think that we only see like 10% of what he does. And this documentary really takes you into like what his day-to-day is like, what he— what he's working on, what he's involved in, what he's hands-on with. And one of the most interesting parts also for me was, and I, I said this to you, was after the whole Oscars controversy happened, they show the behind the scenes of him dealing with it and him making the decision to post and what the publicist was doing. And basically every single thing that he was doing in the aftermath of that was like against the publicist's advice. It was like the publicist would say like, do not speak. And they're like, we're doing this. And he would be like, no, that's not what I'm doing. And he takes you through all of it and you see, you know, that really raw emotion of him going directly against what is what was his, like What was vice. an example? Like, so like, for example, like the, the fact that Kevin Hart wouldn't apologize in the beginning, like he is so adamant in his thinking that like he already apologized. He's already covered this. He's already doing it. Why are we in his position was like, why does every time someone gets success, our first thing that we want to do is take it away from them. We want to go find something and destroy them with that. And he was so firm in that, that he was so unable to see the other side. And everyone else kind of had this clear view of like, just apologize. Just here's what you do. And let's lay low and let's not do this and not do that. And he was so adamant in his belief that he couldn't understand that. And, you know, they go through all of these meetings and he has, you know, an executive that works for Hart Productions, that's his production company, who, who, who is gay. And she was saying to him, you know, it's going to take a lot for n- not only everyone to forgive you and get on board. She's like, she's like, you don't understand. Like, I'm one person here, right? And I work for you and I support you and I believe in you. And I'm getting texts and calls and all of these people who are like, how do you work for him? How are you doing this? Look at what he's saying. I can't believe you would do that. She's like, you have to realize how many people you're affecting with your words and this decision. She's like, she's like, people are really, really upset. And it was a really honest conversation between the two of them. And I felt like she had a really good understanding of him and he really was listening to her. And he basically said at the, what, at the end of it, you know, nothing clicked for me. No matter all of the conversation I was having, nothing clicked for me until somebody said to me, Kevin, it's not about what you said or about 
the fact that you wouldn't apologize, all these things. He's like, you need to acknowledge that you don't condone violence of any kind. Because by not apologizing and just saying you're sorry for what you said, you're not acknowledging the root of this, which is that you threatened violence because even in a joking tweet, like saying that like the tweet, what it was, was, you know, if my son comes home and plays with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to smash it over his head and say you're gay. And he was so fixated on like, why do I have to apologize for this joke? It's a joke. It's a joke. And it wasn't until somebody said to him, like, you're joking about physical violence. And that is, there are so many people who are, who are gay and who are part of the LGBTQ community that are being harmed for it, that are being physically hurt for it. And are, I mean, the transgender community is being killed for it. And he, it wasn't until somebody put it like that to him that it clicked. And now he's able to look back on it and be like, I was immature in the way I was handling it. And I was just thinking about me. It's so wild though, that like, that his, I mean, and it's so fabulous, but it, I'm, I'm happy to hear that his, perspective of it shifted because he was so fucking hellbent. Yeah. Do you remember? Well, like I remember and it was really frustrating and it's really frustrating to watch. And it's not it's not like one of those things where you watch a documentary and you're like, oh, I totally see the other side now. Like, you know, sometimes you have that awakening and you're like, wow, how could everybody so, means, be so mean to him? It wasn't like that. And I don't think that's what he wanted. I think he just wanted to explain his, his thought process, whether you agreed with it or not. Yeah. No, I think that's true. It was just a really interesting look at him and a really interesting look at his life and would you recommend people watching yeah definitely I think he talks a lot about growing up in um you know a really bad neighborhood in Philadelphia and he talks about you know his his dad was a drug addict and you know his mom kicked him out and his older brother you know he was saying that his mom um was really lenient with him and wanted him to be like the fun good parent and what happened as a result of that was he didn't have you know strict boundaries so he his older brother you know ended up being in gangs and all of these things and getting arrested. And his mom was like, I'm not doing that with Kevin. I'm not repeating that mistake. And so he grew up very structured and very hardworking. And it was like, you came home from school, you went to this lesson, you did this sports practice, you came home, you did your homework, you went to bed, you did it all. Like you the next day. And he was saying, he was like, that's where I get my work ethic from. He was like, I've never met anybody that worked harder than my mother and instilled in me how hard I need to work. But then he was saying on the other side, on the other hand, he had this father who was a drug addict, but all you want as a little boy is your father's attention. So any time that he was able to be with him, he was still happy about it. And he tells these hilarious stories that like as a child were so traumatic for him, but now he's able to turn that into a joke. He tells these hilarious stories about his father showing up for a parent-teacher conferences. And he's and he's talking about how he's wearing, he's wearing no underwear and gray sweatpants. And he's like, I see my dad running into my parent-teacher and all you see is his dick going up and down and back and forth. He was like, he was like, it was the most mortifying thing ever. And he was like, I was at a spelling bee once and my dad comes in the back screaming, cheering as if it's a football game. He's like, I'm at a spelling bee doing words and he's in the back screaming like as if he's watching my basketball game and he's like go Kevin go Kevin you got this that's my son and Kevin's talking about it and he was like he was like all of these things that I'm able to laugh at now were like so traumatic for me in my childhood but he has a relationship with his dad now wow. and he talks about how you know they hurt they hit a certain point where he was like we have to help dad like he this is beyond like his control now and they talk about his substance abuse and how important it is that his dad has a relationship with his grandkids and all of these things and it was just so it was just so interesting to see and one really interesting part that you'll find really like uh, telling is he talks about the what comedy means to him and when he started and he talks about when his parents were still together they were sitting together and I believe they were watching Eddie Murphy and he was saying that they were both cracking up and he Kevin Hart was talking about how you know he wasn't supposed to be in the room his parents didn't want him in the room because it wasn't appropriate for him his mom told him to get out and he was saying that, like, all he could do was watch how happy 
watching comedy made his parents and how they were getting along and they were sitting together watching comedy. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. I told you that. It was, it was, I really recommend it. Like, whether you like him or not, and I don't think everyone's going to, like, finish the documentary with, like, I love Kevin Hart. He's so amazing or whatever, but I think you'll finish with a, a new perspective on him or, like, a new understanding of yeah, him. Yeah, no, which I think is good. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Okay, the next four things that we want to talk about are going to be brief, but they're all a little bit like not everybody cares, which is why we wanted to save them till the end. The first is The Bachelor. Um, I actually watched last night for the first time ever. And then a couple of YouTube things, Jeffree Star's house tour and Tana Mojo's video slash her situation with Jake Paul and also a little bit of Trisha Paytas and then TikTok. So I know some people are going to fast forward, which is why we wanted to put it at the end. Okay, I know you didn't watch, but I'm really, really trying to get into The Bachelor this season because I think I can do it. Okay. Like, I know I've tried and I've never been able to get into it, but I really like Peter. And last night I was like, I'm going to put it on and see what happens. I got to tell you, remember how I couldn't watch some of the other ones because The Bachelors were so unappealing to me? They were so phony, and they were just so full of themselves that it was almost impossible to even act not narcissistic for a quarter of a second. Right. I genuinely don't get that with Peter. First off, he is so, like, humble and sweet. And I think someone, like, wrote a tweet. Like, I think—I forget who it was, tweeted, like— you got to kind of respect Peter for not even trying to get even a little bit like bulked up for this. Like most of them are so fucking full of themselves and not that it's a bad thing, but they know that their That's shirt's really going to be off and they want their, you know, promo thing to be with them. And he like, he's him. He didn't care about being fully jacked. You know what I mean? That's and, like, really cool. It's such That's a really small funny. example. I know it's so superficial, but it kind of just goes to show in my opinion. Yeah, people seem to really like him. He's great. And so there were so many things that happened, but some of the points that I want to talk about were like the intros where the girls come out of the limo and, you know, meet him for the first time, you got to have balls to do this shit. That's the part where I was like, nope, I'm out. Some of these lines, Julie, I, I was, I think I was telling you this earlier, but for anybody that didn't They're watch. So, some, most of them are so cringy. I'm sorry. There's this one part that you guys just, it's, 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 oh my God. So this one girl gets out of the limo and she's like, so, you know, I have a kind of dry sense of humor, but, and then she's laughing. She's like, I, don't, I can't do it. I can't, can't do it. And she's like, okay, but, and then at the same time, he kind of understands what she's going to say. She's like, that's the only dry part about me. 
And she's like cringing at the fact that she did it. And she goes what inside. What made her start with that line? I don't know. She goes inside. And after, you know, they all get one-on-one time. And they're all stealing each other from him. And she's sitting down with him. And she's like, you know, thank you so much. Like, I know I was really kind of scared to say that. Thank you for being so cool. <laughs> he dead seriously looks at her and he's like, I'm so sorry. What did you say again? Like, I just don't remember. Did he remember once she had said it? Yeah, once she said it, he, she's like, no, no, I know you have like 50 girls here. She's like, I was the one that said the thing about being wet. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 don't worry. And then she's hysterically crying about the fact that he did didn't she remember. Get out? I don't know. I, I want her to win only because I want them to one day have to sit their kids down and st- for her to be like, and I got out of the limo and I looked at your dad and said, I'm wet. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, you could not make this shit up. Also, uh, there's this, yeah, oh, it was so intense. People are saying, so there's three girls. It's Hannah Ann, Madison, and Kelly. People are saying that they're the top three. By people, I mean Jimmy Kimmel said that seven out of the eight episodes, seven out of the last eight seasons, his wife, Molly, has correctly predicted the winner for both The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And she predicted that Hannah Ann is going to be the winner. I firmly disagree with that. I think she's like smoking hot and she got the first impression rose, but I don't think that she's going to win. Anyway. Smoking hot. Smoking oaken. <laughs> it was like a weird thing to say, but that's, if you look at her, she's a fucking smoke show. Like there's nothing else. But wait, he's on Jimmy Kimmel last night with Tiffany Haddish. Julie, you have to watch. Wait. Speaking of Tiffany Haddish, because my sister texted me this. Did she? Did you listen to the part on on Jimmy Kimmel where she says what Beyonce's mom got her for her bat mitzvah? <laughs> a cross and a Bible. <laughs> Tina got her a cross and a Bible. I can't believe I didn't text you about that. Why was that not viral? No. Do you know what else she fucking did? Did, did you know that Jimmy had her old boss on? <laughs> you have to watch this. Wait. He had her old boss from when she worked at the airlines on video conference to like to congratulate her. She hasn't seen this guy in a million years. And he's talking about what she used to do at the airlines. And he's like, she's like, remember when I used to strut myself on the conveyor belt? <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah, Tiffany, I remember. She's like, yeah. She's like, <laughs> so funny. She's like, she's like, listen, there was nothing I loved more when a flight was delayed. She was like, I loved when the flight was delayed. She's like, I would speak into that loudspeaker and be like, I am so sorry, but flight 1475 coming from Atlanta is actually going to be a little bit of a delay. She's like, and then you know what I would do? I would pop, lock, and drop it. <laughs> and Jimmy's like, you would pop, lock, and drop it while people were waiting? She's like, yeah, exactly. It was, you have to watch. She is. It was really funny. Have you read her book? No. So her, she has the craziest life and she talks about all these things, how, like, she was literally a pimp. Like, she she was a pimp at one point, like, literally. And she also was a bat mitzvah dancer. But she grew up in foster care. And she tells these stories about living in foster care and, like, how she was abused in foster care but didn't know it until oh. she told the story later in life. And she's telling it to her friends. You have to read the book. And she's telling it to her friends. And they're like, Tiffany, um, I think you were molested in foster care. And she's like... Oh, shit. <laughs> like, I remember was, you telling me that. I, I can't even imagine. Like, she has such a serious life and such serious, incredible stories. But her ability to tell them with such humor and in her own voice is, it's really unparalleled. It is so, it was one of the best, funniest, most interesting books I've ever read. I've never heard of another human being with a life like this. You, I mean, you got that even just from watching her special. Yeah. Like a, um, like a sliver of it. 
Anyway, so because she was in the airline industry, she's like talking to Peter because he's obviously a pilot. She's fl- like hitting on him the entire time. Of course, time. and that's so her personality. It was so funny. So then Jimmy's showing him, he's like telling him about how my wife predicts whatever, and he's showing him her his wife's choices for the final three. And he's like, you know, trying to keep a straight face. And then after, he's like, so which one of them have you seen naked? And he's like, I'm not answering that. And she's like, I think it's number two. He could not stop smiling. And he's like trying so hard. And she's literally doing Who everything. Who was number two? I forget it. I think I think it was Madison. I don't remember. I genuinely don't remember. But it, oh, you got to watch. I don't know. My thoughts on this are that I— Oh, what was the thing with Hannah? Can you explain that? Oh. That seems important. Well, the first scene, she comes back and she wants to give him his, like, I don't know, some, like, pin or pilot something. I'm sure all of you that know what it was will correct me. But something, some sentimental thing that he had given to her on her season. And she's like, I want to give this back to you. You know, it's your chance to find love, whatever. And then later on, she is there, like, leading a challenge. And they basically end up, both of them breaking down and having this very emotional conversation about how, like, she kind of regrets what she did every single day by not, you know— by choosing Jed and not, um, she thinks about the fact that she sent him home and he was saying how he was so sure that he was going to be in the final two and they talk about Tyler. She's like, when I was watching that live and you asked Tyler out, he's like, I love Tyler. It's nothing against him, but my heart sank. And I was like, this is really fucking cool because it's like, these are people we know. Like this is stuff that we saw happening. Tyler's in our orbit. But apparently, and Hannah's a mess. She's hysterical. Her mascara is running down her face. And he asks her, like, do you want to come join this season? Like, I want you back. And we obviously don't know what happens yet. I think we can all say that that doesn't happen because she's on Dancing Dancing with the Stars. But apparently, like, the tweets were like, she was so emotional because ABC has her fucking trapped. She can't go back in if she wants to. Right. I don't know. It was just, it was, yeah. Or does ABC have her so trapped that she didn't want to be there in the first place? I think she wanted to be there. It's really interesting. Um, What I was going to ask you was, do you think that she regrets, like she's saying, I regret the choice I made with Jed just in general, and I think about making that decision every day? Or was she saying she regretted not picking him specifically? Well, I think the question he asked was, do you regret sending me home? So that's kind of ambiguous. Because Because it's like, I could regret sending you home and have you and Tyler be the final Exactly. It's a hard thing to have regrets. He's Yeah, especially in a situation like that. You know, she's getting a lot of criticism because people are like, just fucking let him have his time. And I see that. Like, I see it. But also, it's not like it's just her. It's very mutual. He And he says, he's like, I thought that I was a lot stronger. I said to the producers that I'm coming in here ready to fully fall in love. And like, maybe I'm not totally over Hannah. It was intense. I don't know. I really That's liked really it. That's really crazy. There's a lot. I, we, I get more I'm not, I'm not surprised gonna. that you like The Bachelor. I am yeah. because I've tried to watch it before. I couldn't watch Colton season. I couldn't watch a lot of them. But I was into this one. Can we, like, for three seconds talk about Jeffree Star? <laughs> of course. What did you think about the house? I mean, it's insane, obviously. I'm just, I was shocked that he did a whole house tour without it being finished yet. He buys this $14 million house in—it was in the same community, I think, in Hidden Hills. Yeah. Um, we're literally neighbors with Drake. And he does a whole house tour with Shane Dawson. And it was, I liked the way that he did it. It wasn't just a regular tour. He brought Shane and Rylan over and he was giving them the tour. So it was like more fun because we got to see them and Nate. And I just, Shane is so fucking funny. Yeah, Shane is funny. You guys have to see this house, specifically this wine cellar. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. The whole house is really, I mean, it's spectacular. He's a 5,400 square foot guest house. It's a barn that he's turning into a full beauty barn. Like hair salon, nail salon, makeup salon. The property's insanity. And in seven years ago, I think it was seven years ago, he was basically homeless. That's insane. That's the thing about Jeffree Star. Whether you absolutely hate him, you have to respect his work ethic. Absolutely. 
He, Absolutely. He's fully self-made. Yeah, and it's, absolutely. It's crazy. Speaking of, uh, Tana's video on YouTube, I uploaded a thing to Patreon about I it. I never watched it. You didn't? No, but you I know, didn't you, watch you it. Heard, you, you like no, know what it's about. Of course. I know what it's about, of course. Um, What's like, okay. Not, I feel like it, it, that sounds so stupid when I say this, but I really like believed every word that she said. Well, what did she say? Let's give the Reader's Digest version here. She basically, you know, uploaded this long 40-minute video saying the truth about everything, about Jake, about um, just her relationships, her life, everything. And she kind of said, like, listen, I recognize that I'm the most successful I've ever been. I'm the wealthiest I've ever been. And this year has been amazing for my career. But simultaneously, I am— in hands down in the worst mental space I've ever been. And she's like, I prided myself on being so authentic. That was like what my brand is built on. She's like, and I just haven't been. And she goes through kind of all these different aspects of her life. And she says, and what I like about Tana is that she never tries to hide the monetization aspects of things. So she said, listen, I want to be truthful with you guys. And also like, this will probably turn into a series of me telling these truths. Like, it wasn't like she's like, I'm just uploading a video to be truthful. Like, there's not going to be any money made from it. That was like one of the first things she said. And she had a really fucked up childhood. She grew up in Vegas. Her, you know, there was- It already sounds fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of, you know, she basically kind of hates her parents and resents them pretty much for the rest of her life, although she's trying really hard not to. She left her house when she was like 16. And she said, she's like, one day I will share all of those stories, but just for right now, just believe me when I say my childhood is really fucked up. She's like, and I never dealt with it. And I suppressed it and I suppressed it and I suppressed it. And, you know, all of this started to take off. And like, those issues were still there just because of the good things were happening. Right. Those issues still existed, obviously. Set. Yeah. And she goes through like her relationship with Brad or whatever, which we all knew who's a cheating asshole. But then she brings it to Jake, which Jake Paul, obviously, which is what we were all most excited about. And she kind of says like, it started as a joke in a way. Like, we were really hooking up, but I didn't mean for it to go public in the way that it did. And then once we saw the steam with it, like, we kind of just ran with it. And what she expresses is that Jake and her are in an open relationship. Obviously, the marriage was technically fake, but she's like, I know it was a joke, but I felt it was real in the sense that, like, I really love him. She's like, I was falling for him. And I didn't realize, like, I knew we were in an open relationship, but to me, that meant he'd, like, I'm going to hook up with a girl here and there. She's like, I didn't realize that meant that he was like sleeping with someone else every night. And she's like, that's not his fault because I went out of my way to be the quote, cool girlfriend. Like, I don't give a fuck, do whatever you want. She's like, because I would so much rather have him in any capacity than not have him at all. And it was just really interesting to hear her talk about it. And she kind of says like, the thing with Jake is that he's so such a business that he thinks of things so like money focused. And she was doing these things that she didn't necessarily want to do, not because he was forcing her, but because she got caught up in the business aspect of it. Like the live stream of that wedding, she didn't want to do it, but she got so kind of hooked in. Remember they charged people no, all that I, money? I to, know, yeah. And like all this stuff. So she basically ended up by saying like, we're just, I think we're going to have to take a break. Like she didn't, or she didn't even say that. She's like, I didn't, I don't want any of this to come across as like, I'm mad at him because I'm not. And I hope he, she's like, he doesn't know this. He hasn't seen this yet. Like, I hope he's not mad. And they ended like a week later saying that they're going to take a break and just like focus on themselves and whatever. But she was really raw in all of it. And just saying that like, she lost herself and- She definitely lost herself. Yeah. But it was the first time that I felt like she kind of saw it all, like without rose colored glasses. And did they ever- I don't know if she talks about this. Did they ever actually sleep together? Because yeah, remember all the, the time. Oh, because remember in the beginning she was like, no, we haven't had sex yet. Oh, all the time. Even when she was saying that they weren't having sex, they were having sex? 
Um, she didn't speak on that. I don't, I can't, like, I couldn't tell you time-wise, but yeah. They they must have been because when, the reason that their whole relationship broke was she posted a selfie and literally out of the corner of the picture, you could see his bed and fans obviously like stand Twitter went crazy and saw it. But she's like, at that point, we were just hooking up. Like I didn't, want for it to go public but she's like but once it did it's so Jake and Mai's personality to just run with it we're not going to try to hide it so that's kind of what happened it's it's worth the watch if you want to skip the first 10 minutes that's fine but I I thought it was really good I did a whole recap voice on Patreon if you want like the small talk but I I liked it Um, very interesting I'm very interested by her yeah by all of it by the ability to I'm very interested by the the fact that you can take your personal life and then turn it into a business, and then forget that that's actually your life. Yeah. I, like, the, just the sheer ability to do that and and think in that way. And and I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing necessarily. I mean, it's obviously not the most moral. It's not the best thing to do. But if your agenda is to be so famous that, you know, you are constantly spoken about and constantly discussed and, and you're everywhere, and you when you think of YouTube, you think of you, or when you think of X, you think of her— and you see that as a means to an end, like a, as as a way to do that, then I, I understand how she got to that point. I'm just so intrigued by anybody who could actually go there. Yeah. Fucking same. And that and I think she's almost shocked that she let herself is kind yeah. of what I mean. Well, I think that goes back to a lot of her childhood that she didn't deal with, which is like, why why are you doing this? Yeah. Why is it so important to you to be so Famous that you're sacrificing what you're not even what your beliefs are. It's one thing to sac- do something and sacrifice your beliefs. It's a whole other thing to do something and 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 sacrifice the, your day to day life. Yeah, what you actually are, who you actually are as a person, what you what you do. It's just it's yeah yeah. It was it was really interesting. Also, I'm not talking about this because I feel like we can't get any airtime. But yes, we both saw Trisha Paytas and Jacqueline Hill's ex John Hill. And did you watch the clips of the live stream? No. Julie, you like it's like so important that you do because you were gonna be like, what the fuck just happened? I'm not getting into this. I just want everybody that messaged us about it to know, yeah, I was as confused as you are. And it's I'm sorry if this sounds bad. It's one of those things I can't look away. I know it's a train wreck. I can't look away. When you said we're not gonna talk about it, but I just want to mention I thought you were gonna say the Logan Paul video. Oh, no. <laughs> Another thing we're not getting into. Um <laughs> So <laughs> I was thinking about the baby also. <laughs> <laughs> oh, TikTok was the other thing we didn't talk about that we said we were gonna. There's just so much. Oh, join our way. Patreon. Honestly, if you're into TikTok, join our Patreon. No, if you're into TikTok, follow us. <laughs> oh yeah, follow on Instagram comments by TikTok. at comments by TikTok and on actual TikTok. Thank you. And we're gonna try to make my dad go viral if he's okay with it. Yes. <laughs> as long as I, I need like verbal written consent that consent. he's okay with it. I know I will. Okay, ready to go to the awards? Yeah. Funniest comment of the week goes to Crystalia. Jason Derulo uploaded this picture of him in Indonesia. Um, it looks like in the middle of some sort of a jungle, shirtless, oiled up with a hat on. He goes, name this movie. And Crystalia comments, cats? Question mark. Thought it was funny. Anything to do with cats, I laugh at. It's uh, same, obviously. The other runner up there was John Stamos when Rita Wilson posted the picture of herself saying, what you look like when your hair and makeup person for the Golden Globes is one and a half hours late, even though you booked him in September. We'll leave one hour to do hair and makeup. And John Stamos comments, what's he doing for work tomorrow? That's so, so funny. So good. 
Um, best clapback of the week, we only had one nominee, so she is the winner. Rihanna, she posted a picture of herself, makeup-free and beautiful, and someone comments, let me pop your pimple, and she responds, let her have her shine, please. I love her so much. I can't, Em, I can't even tell you. I know. Ready for the motherfucking Kardashian recap? Yeah, babe. Okay. Okay, I don't want to sound so dramatic, but I don't know if I've ever been more excited for anything than I am for Stormy World 2. Same. Also, like, is every birthday party just going to be Stormy World and then the age? I'm down for it. I I'm want down merch. to, obviously. As long as there's merch, I'm down for it. Oh, my God. That kid loves I can't believe she sells Rise and Shine merch and not Stormy World merch. I would, I would buy, buy that shit in a yeah. half a second. Yeah. Wow, I'm excited for Stormy World. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Forgot about it, right? Oh, yeah. When, when Kylie posted that Insta story and you saw, like, Mindy Weiss Projects. With Stormy the World 2. Stormy yeah. World 2. I was like, let's fucking go. You could hear the sound effects. Like, ha, yeah. You know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just hyped for it. Me too. Oh my God. I just can't. I was just like thinking I think in preparation it. of Stormy World 2, we'll watch some like highlights from Stormy World 1. one. The, <laughs> also known as Stormy World. Is Jordan's video to her like Stormy World the prequel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. To our daughter. Yes, exactly. Also, this is like kind of, we always put it in the Kardashian recap because we're not sure where else to put it, but Stas and Tyler Cameron spent New Year's Eve together in Miami. I don't know anything that happened other than that. Yeah. From what I read, it was like they were both in Miami at the same time. And then because they were both in Miami with their like individual friends, they went out at the same place. And like, they were like, I guess all over each other. The way I picture it is like it, it, the the um, normal people terms that I can put it in for what I could describe to happen is like. They were uh, both at the same bar in the city, and because they've hooked up before and saw each other at the same bar, they continued that. Yeah, for sure. And right, that's like a perfect way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Like you're ho- you've hooked up with somebody, you're not consistently hooking up with them. It's not whatever, but like you hook up when you see each other. And obviously, if you're out at the same bar and it's not like you've broken up, but you've hooked up before, you just fall back into that. Yeah, and that is, and also like in real people examples, that specifically happens on vacation. Think about how many specifically times— Specifically, that is probably the most relatable thing. Yeah, but think about how much more that happens when you're, like, somewhere else. Like, you're way more likely to hook up with someone that you've previously hooked up with, like, have a little thing with when you're both, like, on vacation living this kind of fantasy life in Miami versus, like, maybe you saw them at the same bar in the city, wouldn't happen. Right. You know what I like mean? Like, PV, perfect example. Oh, my God. Fucking forget about it. What What a time. What a college. time. I miss college. I also think one of the smartest things Kim has ever done, and I imagine, I obviously don't know the details, I imagine that before the Golden Globes, she basically was connected with the stylist and gifted skims to all of these people. And she then, after the event, posted all of the people that were wearing skims, which was Zoe Deutsch wearing the boob take, Priyanka, Tanya Rad, um, everyone. It was, I, I really loved that she did that. It was so smart, yet also like, oh, duh. But it was also... I don't know. There was something about it where I was like, I couldn't believe that they were wearing skims. But can I tell you more than honestly? like Because you know what it is? I'll tell you why it's such a big deal. It's one thing to throw skims on and take a picture for your story. It's one thing to throw it on and go out to a bar. It's whatever. But when you trust the product enough that you're wearing it to the Golden Globes, that is the best endorsement for a product a person could ever make. A thousand percent agree, but I think it's two-sided. I think totally that, but also... You realize what the fact that we're living in a time when women's shapewear on the red carpet is being celebrated, whereas 
literally four years ago, nobody would be talking about the Spanx they were wearing. Right. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, we've become, we have, like, you used to be ashamed of that. Like, everybody wanted to create the illusion that they had those bodies completely naturally and that their stomachs were that flat. And, like, no, no. Hey, I have a little extra something that I want to stuff in. And, like, I'm okay with that. And that's, that's amazing. Like, that's what I was happy about, in addition to Kim's business genius. Yeah, there's, yeah, you're right. There's so two sides of it. It's just it's like, I feel like we're all getting to a point where it's like, there's no way I'm I'm wearing a dress without Spanx or Skims or anything. Why? Kim doesn't even wear fucking sweatpants without it. Yeah. Why do we? <laughs> I don't know. Because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. When I was at my cousin's wedding, speaking of announcing that you're wearing Skims, literally as soon as the ceremony was over at the cocktail, I was like, I'm going to the bathroom and I'm taking off my Spanx. I'm not wearing them for this and I do not take one photo of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you get past the pictures, it's yeah, fine. That's what I, I, would, I made a full announcement. I was like, no more pictures. And they were like, this day isn't about you at all. <laughs> like, no one wanted a photo of you anyway. This is literally your cousin's wedding. Please relax. At Rachel's sister's wedding, I didn't pee for the entire night because taking off my Spanx was just like too daunting. Like I couldn't even get through it. So I just, I didn't drink. I didn't whatever. And I just prayed. Yeah. See, I did like the whole like, wear a size small Spanx so that you're crushed. And it worked for pictures. It just didn't work for like breathing. Exactly. And at some point you got to. Yeah, at some yeah. point you have to breathe. Exactly. What did we miss? The 2009 recap, sto- 2019 recap stories. What do you mean? Oh, Kim and- oh my God. They were amazing. Yeah, everybody was doing that. We On our Patreon, we compiled all of Haley Bieber's and we put them together, but Kim's were amazing. Kim's was probably the greatest movie I've ever watched. Yeah. And if somebody way, asked me for my favorite movie, like ever since Friends was taken on Netflix, I don't need anything to fall asleep. I'll just rewatch Kim's 2019 recap. Also, Chicago Talking today. Oh my God. No, I'm, t- I'm like right here, right now, I will proudly proclaim, as I have done a million times, Chicago is the best kid on Instagram. Sorry. I love what something really funny that you do that that always cracks me up is when you say on Instagram as if they don't live in the regular <laughs> world too. Like why why do you think Chicago's an Instagram baby? She's just a baby. No. She's the cutest baby. No, no, no. Because what I meant by that is like that's not including Kristen Bell's kids, for example, because we don't see her on Instagram. She may have the cutest kid in the world, but I wouldn't know that. But you can say the cutest kid in the world. That's like if a tree falls in forest and no one hears it, did it fall? Yeah, it still fell, but you don't have to acknowledge it because you didn't hear it. You don't know Kristen Bell's kid is cute, so you're not going to speculate. Like, it's the cutest kid, I think, but one time Bradley Cooper covered the face of the baby and I wasn't sure how it looked and I only saw it as a two-year-old. It's more more than that, though. It's It's Chicago's Instagram presence. There's a lot of fucking cute kids in real life, but they don't translate on Instagram, and that's what it is. It's her translation, her relatability, her eyelashes. I would go to fucking bat for this kid. I think she is, an, I think everybody sleeps on her because North takes the shine. Let me tell you something. Don't sleep on Chicago. No one's sleeping on Chicago because of North. People are sleeping on Chicago because of Stormy. Hot take. I thought you, wait, I thought you were going to say no one's sleeping on Chicago, period. No, I think that, first of all, if you're talking about Instagram presence and comfortable with the camera, bringing something, speaking, action, it's stormy. I know. It's Chica- stormy. If you're talking in terms of Instagram, it's stormy. Yes, yes, especially with those giant trolls. That being said, just hear me out for a second. You're right. That being said, Kim doesn't prompt it in the same way Kylie does. Kylie does a lot more of interactive stories, in my opinion, with Stormy than she does with Chicago. I also think Chicago's a little shyer. It's just her personality. I love them all. I literally love those kids as if they're my own. I want them to just be protected and loved and just, I love them so much. I can't yeah, obviously, even tell you. Obviously, same. I know. Obviously, same. They're just the best. Anything else you'd like to end with? 
Was there anything else on that list? I never want to go away again. I miss you so much. I miss you too. No, there's nothing else on the list. I, th- I felt like Kardashians were kind of quiet. There wasn't anything crazy. Um, I don't think. Oh, we didn't even talk about the Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> but that it was so long it's ago. So it's long so hard. Ago. Like there's so many things I wanted to talk about in the moment that they've passed. We're not getting into that now, right? No, no, no. I'm Cor- just saying. Also, like, we're Courtney did a great that. job. Courtney and Eunice fully back together. Do with it what you please. I don't know what I have to feel about that. If, I guess if she's happy. Yeah. She's happy. I'm happy. Oh, they went on vacation together. That's what I wanted to say. New Year's Eve, they went on vacation separately. And I believe that it was Courtney, Rain, and Eunice. Because you could see him in the reflection. And you could see him in the reflection. And Scott was with Mason, Penelope, and Sophia. That's what I wanted to say. The breakup? The, of the kids. I think that Rain and... Um, I, I'll tell you why. I think it's two things. I think that Rain and Eunice have a good relationship. I think Eunice and Rain get along really well. Not that he doesn't get along with the other kids, but I think that Rain was a lot younger when Eunice was in the picture, so we kind of grew up with him more than the other ones did. And also, I think that um, Penelope and Mason went skiing, and Rain just may be a little young for that right yeah, now. Yeah, that makes sense. I also think Courtney and Rain have a really intense connection. Well, I mean, obviously. No, I know it's her kid, but I'm saying out of all of them, like I almost feel— I don't know. There's just maybe it's because it's her last kid and she's like holding on to the idea of yeah, the baby. whatever it is. Okay, guys, I think that's all for this week. Remember, shop.com slash for merch. Please, if you enjoy this, five stars and review. What else do I have to plug or say? Um, we had Heather Dubrow on yesterday. She's, it's going to air next week. We have Kristen Cavallari coming in tomorrow. And I don't know. I don't know, Thursday. I don't know. I'm just happy to be back. I love so, you. I'm so happy to be back. Yeah. It was it, it feels was, it feels fucking good. It feels damn good. Okay, I love you guys. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Free to Fertility. Free to Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.